Hi there, Glocal Citizens. It's Florence Adu, your host for the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. This week, I am rounding out my Lagos tour with the visit to the famed Jazz Hole Cafe and Bookshop in Ikoyi, and I'm meeting Funcho Ogundikbe, the composer of the Glocal Citizens theme music, 419afrobeat.com. And that's featuring the legend and recently departed Tony Allen. So with this tribute, we say thank you for all that you've offered to this universe in terms of sound, Mr. Allen. You will be missed. Further, I'd like to say, please, 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 pardon our sound. As you all know, or have kind of gathered in my interviews in Lagos, Lagos is the generator capital of Africa, maybe. (laughs) So please pardon the sound. We have a constant generator going. And otherwise, I just want to say please enjoy and have a listen through the end because you'll have a special treat in hearing the entire theme song. All right. Without any further delay, here's the episode. Today, my guest is someone that's very special to the show because the music that you just heard is a piece of his work of art. And we're so happy to have that as a a constant theme that underlies this Global Citizens path. And without any further delay in speaking, and let me just say, we're coming to you from, it's all fitting, because we're coming to you from the famed Jazz Hole in Ikoyi, uh, Nigeria, in Lagos. And as you can hear, we have the generator thing going on because that is Nigeria. (laughs) We can't get away from it, but we like to come to sites and be on set and be on location. So we just, we manage, oh, we manage. So uh, without any further ado, here is my guest, Mr. Funcho Ogundipe. Ogundipe. Who is Ogundipe. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Who is the music director and band leader of the Afrobeat jazz group, Aitoro. And he describes himself as just a man, but I would call him a true renaissance man. Kimcho, welcome to the program. Tell us a little bit more about you and what inspires you. About me? Yes. I'm just a man. <laughs> okay, we, we got that over with. We, we understand that. We, we understand all of that. But no, tell us your story. Tell us a little bit more. Um, okay, uh, my, right now, I mean, I'm principal composer and um, songwriter for the group Aitor, apart from being band leader. But my background wasn't in music, so I've come from probably corporate finance and law. Okay. So how did you get on this musical path? It was always there. Okay. When you say always, what does that mean? Music has always been the soundtrack to my life, you know. Mm-hmm. Most important times, most important things have happened to me. It's a song that's like a soundtrack running in my head. So let's get a little, a little bit deeper into like more about who you are. Where are you from? Where are you calling it local? Because we know that you've been around the world and I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell us where you're local, where you're from. Give us a little bit more context for um, that always been in your uh, life. I'm a Yoruba boy from Nigeria, okay. Yoruba man from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. My hometown is Ilesha. Ilesha is in the southwest. Okay. It's about 
13 minutes drive from Ileife, okay. which is the heartland of Yoruba people itself, where according to our, our history and our culture, we created our own first civilization and our, our own consciousness. Right from the heartland of Yoruba people. I grew up living in Lagos because of my family. My father worked here, my mother too as well. Now where do I live? I, anywhere and everywhere. Okay. In, in, as long as it's in Africa, I'm good. Got it. But I would say you're quite local right now to Ikeja. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. Ikeja is my uh, town. Right, right. It's where you're, you are creating a creative base there. Yes. You know, we know that you have, your standing in your community is it's quite interesting. We'll talk more about that. Mm -hmm. so, so you said music has been your background, your inspiration. So what music started you? Like what is in your heart from, you know, from the earliest age? I listened to a lot of Yoruba music when I was growing up. My parents saw to that. My father always had a wide collection. We love Yoruba records. Uh, King Sonia Day, Ebenezer Obey, Emperor Pete Peters, uh, a lot of guys. Then, when I was a teenager, I started listening to jazz. Mm -hmm. I think about 13 or 14. Okay. Why? Lee Morgan, Grover Washington. It was a mixed bag. There was a program on Voice of America. I, I used to, okay, when I was younger, I had one of my hobbies was listening to shortwave radio. Okay. So, um, you used to call it like DXing, you know, you, you log like, you have like a, a notebook mm -hmm. and then you flip through the channels and you start looking for interesting um, channels and radio programs. So for example, if you log on shortwave, you hear like Russian radio, sometimes oh, American, sometimes right. Iranian. Right. Most of them, those been broadcast in English. Sure. On the shortwaves. Sure, you know? sure. So I, this day I was listening to like Voice of America and they were playing something by Washington first and I found like wow this music is amazing you know mm -hmm. I think that was the first time I had someone improvise with an instrument mm -hmm. um, and then the guy after that played Lee Morgan I won't forget because the name was like Lee Morgan who's this guy was a trumpet player and then after that you started listening to Miles Davis and also clicking so then I also like reggae so it was those three music Yoruba music jazz and reggae okay uh, got it so, for many of our listeners, they probably won't remember the shortwave radio. Pardon? Many of our listeners won't remember the shortwave oh, yes. radio it's, uh, it's because we don't really have shortwave short radio anymore, anymore, right? Yes. But I remember having my first boombox in SW1 and SW2. SW2 yes. Right. FM, FM, MW, SW1, SW2. Yes, exactly. And wait, did you have AM? AM, FM. Yeah. Uh, Yes, something. Right. So the first, the first radio stations that we even listened to, like we feel, I feel like this was where all like black radio was in the U.S. was on AM. So everyone, I, all my my call my friends, we all were like, yeah, we listen to the AM station because that's where we could be. Like for whatever reason, that frequency or those radio lines must have been more affordable or something, you know. And so the shortwave is even more like pirate-ish, right? So that's where you're picking up on all these other bandwidths that are from around the world so it's really very interesting so so listeners maybe we'll put a show note in on the history of radio and shortwave because it's something interesting to <laughs> to do some reading some reading up on okay so what was your first instrument piano piano okay so and that has stayed with you for the most part you are first and foremost a keyboardist i would yes. say yeah okay and so what other instruments are part of your toolbox the band the band. The band. The band is an instrument, yes. Okay, all right, that makes sense. Interesting. So, you, you've lived in other places. How did you decide to come back to Nigeria? Why? Because um, I was getting frustrated. I was living in England, and I was releasing records 
and records were getting me enough acclaim, you know, but I wasn't happy with the music. There's something about working with rhythm sections in West Africa or Africa, which is important for the music I make. Yeah. You know, it's both a spiritual and technical thing. We'll talk about technical thing last and first. The guy, people over here, because they've been playing this music for much longer, and because they understand it from a rhythmic perspective, it makes the music I make with them much stronger than it would be if I had to use a rhythm section in Europe, for example. I'm not being funny, but there is something to be said for working with people who have played a kind of music, or have played music in a kind of way or form for longer. So I wasn't happy and I thought like I needed to come back to Africa. So I didn't actually come back to Nigeria first. I took a long journey. I went to Ghana. Okay. Yep. I thought, and I still do think that Ghana was going to enrich me, you know, musically. So I, I went to live in Accra. I gave up music for short while just to listen and I didn't play for like a year or two to get my conception of music back, make it stronger and say what I want to do. So. so when you say you hope and you hope it did and hope it does enrich you, so what so far has or how has Ghana or Accra enriched your music? Oh wow. <laughs> Quite a lot actually. Since since two thousand and seven. I've been I've recorded I think seventy percent of my music in Ghana. Seventy. Seventy, I would say seven zero, yes. Mm -hmm. I've worked with more Ghanaian producers than other nationalities, I think. Ghana made me fall in love with high life again. Okay. It, it really did. So when you say the Yoruba music you grew up on, it wasn't high life, it was just traditional. It was a mix. It was Yoruba high life. Oh, okay. Because if you go back to the old high life, forget the modern high life or the high life of like about 20, 30 years ago, which has four back chord progressions. If you listen to like the raw proto high life, people like maybe before they played chord progressions, it sounds like a lot of the Yoruba music of the 70s okay. and 80s, you know. Yes. There's the Gomi drum, maybe a guitar here, there. People just lay like lyrics. Yes. So then, what to about, um, I guess, discovering high life again? How did that change your music, or has it changed your music? Because it can, it, would you I say mean, you from, weren't playing, from, playing that before? Um, you know, when I started my professional music career, I came from Afrobeat and jazz. Now, High Life is the crucible from which Afrobeat was forged, you know? Right, of course. So High Life is the mother, the mother music. Mm -hmm. Even Fela Kuti, who is officially the Afrobeat creator, yes. started out by playing High Life jazz. Right. Yeah. Um, so High, high Life, the way it's played, it's chord out, has chord sequences. At times four, four chords, you know, sometimes maybe eight, sometimes even zombie adventures more. And Afrobeat, on the other hand, it's more like funk, as in it's like one chord. More like funk. Yeah. Ah, okay. Which yes. is why people people relate James Brown and Fela, that sure, kind of thing. Sure. Sure. Um, so, I, listening to High Life again in Ghana allowed me to stretch out my music. Mm -hmm. Allow me to like you know more colors, do more colors. Yes. Good. So. Yes, I understand. I'm speaking of Fela. I think you have some history with the band. <laughs> Tell us more about your, your experience with the originator of Afrobeats. Oh, man, you know, like, like, no problem. <laughs> well, I met Fela when I was like a kid, you know, I was like, uh, just, I was in my teens and I was in uni. Okay. 
and so um, I had friends who were playing in his band. Mm -hmm. I also knew that he was a guy who encouraged young musicians to come to the shrine to cut their teeth, mm -hmm. you know. There's a tradition in Afrobeat, when an Afrobeat band is playing, like the jazz musicians who love to sit in, the culture is you go to the concert, you ask the band leader, can I play with you? He gives you a solo spot, you play. That's how we got better at the thing. Suffice to say, my first attempt was a disaster. Okay. I was shy. I still don't like big crowds, so I think I looked at the crowd and I got you know, tongue-tied and I couldn't play. So I was tapping my feet and I didn't make a move. So Wait. the band started laughing. So you're tapping your feet? You're, you're and I was trying to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. I was like, you know, I just was blank because I saw the crowd and it threw me off. Okay. So, but the guys in the band knew I could play because they had been telling me, this guy can play, you know. Yeah. So all my friends have been championing me. I think they all really <laughs> felt that that evening, you know. But Fena was very gracious. I won't forget. And he just did me and said, like, so what's wrong with you, man? You know, like, uh, and I was like, I was saying something like, you know, I was shy. It's like, shy. There's no need for shyness of this thing, you know. Um, so I came back the next day and I said, no, I like, no, where are you for real? I'm like, yeah, I can. I'm, I'm, I'm good, you know. It's like, yeah, I hear you can play, but okay, listen. You, if you go and say you probably fuck up again, so go talk to the band leader, Baba, uh -huh. make one marshal. And so I spoke to Lekwani Marshall, and I think like in about a week or two, they allowed me to play. Okay. And that time this was I, at the shrine. At the shrine. Yeah. So after I played, then you know I caught it. it was like because all the frustration of like. Sure. The first time. I had, right. done, I had done my homework. Yeah. I didn't care about the crowd. And I played, and I think I got an ovation that night. So, really? Uh, ah. The band like, oh, yeah, you got it, so you can play. Okay. So I said, okay, so from that day onwards, if I came to the shrine, yeah. I was part of the tradition. You're not a full member of the band. There are people who pay for that. But when you come, as part of that sitting in tradition, mm -hmm. you play. Got so it. You, you so everyone choose, has a chance. Yeah, everyone has a chance. You choose the number and you play. Oh, okay. And it's something we try to encourage even now in our own music. Ah, okay. So it's kind of like open mic. It's open mic, but with a structure. Yes. You have to know the song. Sure. Yeah, so yes, it was open mic before open mic. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh, okay, that's a lovely story. Um, okay, so this is where I go into a little bit of more of the audio experience of my guests and ask you, what is a word or phrase or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience? So this is what I call global speak, something you hear every day or around you that's meaningful, and has some value, or how you came to value it. The easiest one, mm -hmm. no shaking. No shaking. Okay, tell us about that. What does that mean? No shaking, no worries, nothing. Okay. If it's something, I think it encapsulates the resilience, you know, the toughness of... So literally no shaking, like don't, like shake it off, or... Yeah, it's, a, it's a term, you know, like no shaking, so no worries, you know. Okay. You're somewhere, the question is going on, with someone says, oh, no, it's okay, man, no shaking, so... Ah, okay. All right, that's very simple and easiest. I think the simplest and easiest things are the best. Okay, of course. <laughs> so I didn't want to think too much. Why not, right? Um, but during this real time, in jazz and Afrobeat, if you have to improvise in real time, mm -hmm. you start from the simplest base. Mm, that's true. Or else if you try to be... Too fancy, you choke. choke. Yes. Yeah, so I'm still awesome. learning from my first solo. Exactly. There you go. Keep it simple. So let's talk more about your work now. You are in, you have just finished the tail end of doing some recording. So you have a new project coming out. Yes. So tell us a little bit more about what we're going to expect and, and, and what the experience is like being a band director. Because you had the Fela experience, he was his own band director. So you now, as your own band director, what is your experience in 
putting together the team and managing them to come up with a project that you love. The one thing I've learned in this business is um, the similarities between music and sports. When it comes to running a band, when it comes to running a band, there's a similarity between music and sports. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to fix that. Mm -hmm. So, for me, a band is a group of people. All these people have energies, and the best bands are those that have people with complementary energies. So the first thing you do as a band leader is make sure like the people in your band complement each other. There's no use having seven geniuses who all be playing for themselves and not playing the music for the band. So it's got to be a mix. The best band also should be a mix of ages and genders. Ooh. Yeah, so people are all represented. Mm -hmm. yeah. So these are things I've learned over time. Right. So now that's what I do. So what about the creative inspiration? Like you've shown me album covers and, and things like that. So from a creative and curative, like from a curation perspective, tell us more about how, how that comes around. So you've, you've started with your foundation, which is the players. So you picked your squad, your team is good. So then moving into the actual production side of things, how do you go about that? Produ producing the music, that's simple. You okay? I'll start again with Fela because let's say he laid the template for most of what we do. However, in our hands, it's turning out to be different because yes. it's malleable, so we are changing it to fit what we want to do. But essentially, you start by working on music and rehearsing it until it gets perfect, then you record it, mm -hmm. and then you don't play it anymore. Mm, once that, you've recorded, yes, that has been that's the policy Fela initiated. And that's what Ayetoro has been doing since its inception. We, you rarely can come to a gig and listen to us play old material. Mm. Sometimes one, and even when we play the old material, it sounds different. Okay, because right. Because we get, you get bored when you play, you, you leave the music, you know? Yes. And in creating, in playing, in practicing, it, in playing it until you record, you've lived it. Yes. Once you've recorded it, hey, if you play it, it's not going to be like that. So if anybody wants to listen to that, they better just go buy the record. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, so every so every experience is a new creation. It's, it's a new thing. That's the technical side. Uh, so you record, you, you want to record, then you look for the best producers. You have to look for producers who are sympathetic to what you want to do. Orally, that is how you want your music to sound spiritually, the kind of energy you want the music to have, you know. Um, then you also have to think about how you package it. By packaging, I mean the clothes the music is going to wear, the album covers. Some people like putting naked women, that's a package. Okay. Some like esoteric stuff. Sure. Some like simple photographs. So it depends on what you like. Yes. But you have to consider all of this. So the music video is something that is a big feature of contemporary music. Would you say that it transcends into to jazz for you, per se? Mm. Do you have videos? I have. We is have. That part of your process. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. Okay. We do. I told in the past as we. Okay. I told we'll only release a video. Or do a video when you have something to say. Okay. When we have something to say visually. If we don't have anything to say visually, then there are no videos. Mm. I mean, I guess it, it, it helps because almost every, the music, yeah, yeah. everybody has a video, but mm -hmm. when we have nothing to say, we don't do videos, oh, you know? Okay. 
But you all, but I mean, ultimately, you mean, you mean in terms of making some kind of statement that may be beyond just the, the love of the craft. Because obviously, creating the music is something to say. So when you say, when you don't have something to say, you mean... A video, a video should tell a story. Okay. And the story comes from you. Yes. So, if you create music, sometimes music doesn't need words. Sometimes it's an emotional thing. Sometimes the music doesn't even need to have a video. Right. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you want to do a video because you have another idea. Like maybe you want to tell, if, for example, I love sci-fi. I'm a big sci-fi fan. Me too. So, um, you do? Yep. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So I love sci-fi and we love doing sci-fi themed videos. Okay. So if you check out two or three items of videos, one would have a sci-fi thing. Okay. Because we use this thing to tell people what we feel, you know, about the world we are in and different possibilities, you know, time travel, multiple universes, doppelgangers, you know, all kinds of stuff here. So but when we have a need to them, we do them. Got it. Got it. Um, okay. My next segment is my mindset hack. What's a mindset hack? <laughs> Something that transforms the mindset. Well, I wish I could invent a machine. And I think I'm going to, if I don't, someone would in future they listen to this program. That's going to um, freeze time and space. Okay, so a program so that, that would freeze time and space. So that, for example, you could, while sitting down here, see the people who walked past on these very floors 10 years ago. Okay, so a little bit of time travel. And what would be the goal of that hack? Okay, imagine you were living, imagine you are on, on an autobahn in Germany, or no, the Lagos Ibadan Expressway, car zooming in at like about 100 kph an hour. If I wanted to drive you mad, what if you could see the cars that were passing there two days ago at top speed? But what would be the point of that? You could go back. But why? If you wanted to. Oh, so it's just a desire to relive or reconceptualize. If, like if you are the police or the army, you find out everyone who passed somewhere. Okay, so forensics. So ultimately forensics is what you're, you're hacking into. The power I, I, of forensics. I, I love watching the film. <laughs> yeah, I like that show too. That was a good show. Um, I like nerdy buffins. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so well, Friend is no longer, but it was like, it was on for at least five years, I want to say. Yeah, it was on for quite a long time. I think it was an American program that ultimately contemplated alternate realities and alternate words, worlds. So that's something, we'll put that in the show notes for those of you who are not familiar with Fringe. You are the first person to imagine a mindset hack. Everyone else has just given like ones that are, you know, things that are now. But so I, I'd like, I'd, I can tell the creative you versus a lot of my other guests who are just a little bit more practical and what have you but that was that was interesting okay so in the beginning was imagination you know? yes yes that is the start the of beginning was everything, everything the spark, spark yeah. yes ultimately um so i want to get a little bit deeper into how you came to claim and own music because you said it's always been in you but you took it you deviated at one point so particularly for people who are artists at heart but that may not be communicating that or living that life now how did you go from being and, and what were some of the motivations for even going into that corporate direction and then coming back and, and figuring out where oh, where you the motivations stand? like most um young people and groups 
probably shy, not knowing what I wanted. Um, having a good job with lots of money was the easiest thing. Mm -hmm. For one, I mean, so you, you get girls, you know, <laughs> always helps you. Yeah. You, you, you can go around town, you can pay your way. Yeah. So, I mean, I was doing corporate finance, so that meant I had quite a, you know. Big uh, wad of cash. Yeah, um, but then you also, I think I almost lost my mind. You get, you get deeply unhappy because if you are, You'd be like someone living with a secret, you know. You have to come out of the closet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. You like art, but then you gotta have a banking job. So then, you see the artists. They look like they're struggling, but you see them happy. Yes. And they've got this incredible freedom. And there you are going to work every day. Yeah. Getting all the money, but you're not free. Sure. So something's got to give. So you you know? chose freedom. I chose freedom. I chose because I, I think I chose freedom and my sanity. So for the show, we're getting to the end of our talk for today. Okay, wow. So about 12 years of... Of, um, of, of a man's travel, of, yes. Of man's travels. He's actually an American missionary. American missionary. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he was in the interior. Mm -hmm. So that would be present day where? Present day where? Um, Yoruba land, Liberia. Okay. I mean, got him from Liberia and traveled uh, eastwards. Okay. So from Liberia east. Ah. Past Ghana. Okay. Ghana. Yoruba land. Got it. And so far, what's your read on it? It's interesting how everything is the same, and nothing ever changes. Because some of his descriptions of the people come as put onto that. You know. Meaning, each of the different cultures, or just how people behave? Just observations of how people behave, you know. Interesting. Interesting. So that is, again, what's the title? Travels in the Interior. Travels in the Interior TJ by T.J. Bowden. Okay. All right. Um, so, but, but I read books simultaneously. Okay, so what else are you reading? A Fistful of Shells, Toby Green. A Fistful of Shells. Okay, tell us more, Toby Green. The fundamental premise is um, Africa has always had its own history. And um, especially around the time of the slave trade, people got back in their past. People think that like um, Africa was like different uh, participant and uh, ignorant, naive. So a fistful of shells really looks at the history um, and, and shows, he just put it all out there, that there are a lot of documents that people haven't read that show a, a much bigger, much more complex picture of much more complex societies which were very rich in their own way, which had ways of doing things and which had internal political dynamics, you know, sure. which is far from the simplistic ideas we get, you know, when we talk about Africa, yeah. who we are. So, yeah. so I haven't finished to be green, but I think it's going to be an interesting read. Got it. So that fistful of shells is, an, I guess, a metaphor for, or not even a metaphor, but it is re referencing cowrie shells. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. So with that as, and kind of blasting how value was assigned to those, to that thing by others. Good. Talking about cowrie shells, you know that they were not native to Africa. 
Okay, so they were imported. Imported. So imported currency from where? The Persian Ocean. From the Persian Ocean. Wow. Fun facts all over the place <laughs> here. So I mean, to think about how deep that is, right? So what what we now understood to be the currency of trade for at least a century, right? I would imagine at least a century. Not imagine, but facts are that at least a century or centuries was a currency that was brought to us and assigned a value from others. So, but the question is, what was the fair trade, right? So, and you have to find out. Indeed, indeed, because that was the start of something. Yes, I only yes. know when I think it was Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so maybe we'll circle back and find out how of this, or we readers or listeners, you can find it yourself, a fistful of shells. Sure, yes. Okay, great. All right, I love that. So. You are a musician. What are you listening to? Anything I like. I listen to a lot of, a lot of Malian music now. Malian. There's a guy called Kase Mari Jarate. Mm -hmm. He passed last year. I think he's from. I could listen to his music all day. Mm. If I could put that, play his tracks on repeat. It's that lovely. So he was a contemporary of, of when? Uh, contemporary of people like Salif Keita. Okay. Got it. Uh, really super. Okay. Nice. I listen to him. I don't listen to jazz as much mm -hmm. because I, I think some of that music is frozen now in time. Jazz, it's frozen. I can dig it. It's like, a, you know, there seems to be this thing about getting things to be like museum pieces. Mm -hmm. If you want to play music as if like they're dead, you know, mm -hmm. them frozen. As if music never, music never changes or moves ahead. Do you think some of that has to do with the evolution of music education I because so. I feel like those who are playing it now have the benefit of music education which is typically more Europeans right or Westerners because I don't know many um, indigenous Africans that are actually being able to study and learn how to play new instruments and you know be, just because we haven't reclaimed and reestablished our schools of music here's the thing we've always known how to play yes and all our musics have techniques. Yes. So that has never been, I think, what jazz and some other musics have done is when you start educating people, you run one risk. You might wake up and it's 2020 and there are more jazz musicians than the audience. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you go to a jazz gig, people you see watching are musicians, are self-defeating. Music is for, music is a spiritual thing, it's for a community. The first musics were communal. Yes. The first musicians didn't have a stage, they were playing, and everyone was joining in. Right. You were sitting around campfires and jungle wherever we are, or in open grassland, we were just making sounds and everyone was joining. Specialization came later. And after specialization, it still was okay for some time until you freeze it. You make the pedagogy more important than the art itself. We forget that when we record, even recording music is freezing it. Yes. Because some of the best musics have never been recorded. Thankfully, they will never be. They will just be there. People who are there at that time will enjoy it and get off it. So then that truly is the essence of the spirituality of it. Like yes. that essence flows through people and then somehow we're paying it forward in the way that we move or the way that it inspired us. 
but now you have music which is made by people who are too analytical, who want to analyze everything, who have allowed an egoistic side to take over. People who get off reading record reviews, who get off by listening to critics. I mean, who's a critic? It's just a man or a woman who tells you about the music you made and they get to have the opportunity to tell you they like or they don't like. No human being should have that power. Sure, sure. Right, that's, I guess that's a product of commercialization. So that's where some certain musics have found themselves. Yeah. But you know, we didn't talk about this is, sure, you do music for music, but you gotta eat. So when you say that without the critics, so how then do you see artists feeling like they can you know, you have a bit of a fairly soft landing in some ways because you have been a banker and you were able to amass some savings and so you had a place where you could start and work through not being a starving artist. So how do you see music and people thriving in a space that doesn't always offer without the things that you're saying or you, know, you feel like okay. are pain points? Now this is a very interesting comment I'm going to make. I have twin songs. One of them plays the piano very well. I believe it's better than I am. But he's probably not going to play music. Imagine. He did maths and physics in Munich, so he's, I don't even want him to. I think he just do what he wants to do. And I think that what I see in the music industry is help for anyone who wants to have a living or make a living, having to be, um, having to grit your teeth and you know expect people to tell others you are good. I think music as it is has become a bourgeois kind of job. The original musicians were gifted people. Let's go back to Pythagoras. According to conventional wisdom, he invented the eight note scale. He was also a mystic, he was also a teacher. So music was just what? One thing he did. Right. Let's look at Leonardo da Vinci, writer, sculptor, artist, sure. painter. Art. If you're an artist, you're an artist. Yes. Let's look at Miles Davis, professional musician. He also painted in his last days. So the point I'm making is, I believe now that musicians should have other jobs. Okay. It's my belief. It, I might be wrong, but I feel that to be a, a true artist, you mustn't come back to any idea. Sure. You don't need the critics, you don't need record labels, you just have to make your music. If a writer can play piano, let him play. The world would be a better place if we were all multitasking, multi-talented. Or only that the Yoruba mystic who opened our consciousness in our prehistory era was also gifted in music. Ifa, the Yoruba um, expression of all our knowledge is very musical. Many of the phrases are musical. Many of the incantations follow rhythmic patterns and skills. It all tells me something, that we diminish ourselves when we make the musician or the artist a one-dimensional person. I'm also into photography. I take pictures. I've directed short movies. You know, so sometimes I don't, I don't even call myself a musician anymore. I'm just a man who I do art too, you know. 
I have other things I do to make sure I, I eat. It allows me to play my music purely. From the minute when I, had, I stopped thinking about impressing people, my music has had a life of its own. You know? I guess there's there's a bit of a difference, right? Because you, you yourself already said that performing wasn't your strongest desire around. The I don't music. like no. I just right. don't like dancing around like um, a court jester. Okay. I don't feel like yeah. Let's look at the history of most things we do. Mm -hmm. Who dances? The entertainer. But music is much more fundamental than that. Well, people who are entertained also dance. So that's yes. what I mean. So so there's two pieces, right? Because... If we all dance together, yes. then I can't be entertaining you. Uh, maybe, maybe. If we are all dancing together at sure. the same time, sure. then we're all getting off on the same music. Uh, you're all creating. We're all creating. Even with our dance, our dance steps, we are being creative. Mm -hmm. But we are also... It's a communal thing. Okay. We are all in the moment. Right. But when I go on stage, and start dancing for you. I could be in your king. I could be in a king's palace, and I'm trying to make him happy. Listen, this could be a long-standing conversation because I ultimately hear what you're saying, but then at the same time, I fully respect those people who are performers. That's that's who they are. They're musicians, but so I guess that kind of speaks to your point of I'm a musician, but I'm also a photographer and a farmer. So these people are musicians, but they're also dancers. Yes. For these other, they have these other skills, like they're or storytellers or something. Mm -hmm. So, so okay. So we'll we'll, we'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Funcho. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for your time. So before we go, are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our global citizens audience? Oh, he blew you all a kiss. <laughs> all right, folks. Thanks again for joining us for our conversation with Mr. Fusho Okipe, who is the composer and performer of our theme music. So let's take it from here. Let's listen to a little bit more of that song. Or let's, let's actually listen to the entire version of the song, just so that you get the sense of this artistry. And... As always, you can catch us at localcitizenspod.com and wherever you get your podcasts. It's Florence Adu signing off. Bye for now.